0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Unsolved Mysteries of Southeast Asia, a special podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Hazlin Hassan, SD's Malaysia correspondent. In this episode, we revisit the mystery of Malaysian flight MH370, the plane that vanished into thin air on 8 March 2014.
1: Zero, We are ready in traffic yeah. development 310 to Beijing. For action 370, straight to Beijing via P-Bos, alpha departure, 6,000 feet, spot 2157. Malaysian 370, contact to chemin 120.9. Good night. Good night, Malaysian 370. Breaking news tonight. A Malaysia Airlines flight with 239
0: people on board, including four Americans, has gone missing. At this hour, a desperate search is underway for MH Flight 370, which departed Kuala Lumpur at 12.41 a.m. local time and was due to land in Beijing at 6.30 a.m. Air traffic control lost contact with the plane about two hours after takeoff. It's March 8, 2022. On this day, eight years ago, a passenger plane en route to Beijing from Kuala Lumpur vanished into thin air never to be seen again, taking with it the 239 people on board. The disappearance of Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 would prove to be one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in aviation history. Over the years, aviation experts, scientists across fields, journalists and conspiracy theorists from around the world have dug deep for answers churning out possible explanation after explanation for how the plane could have vanished, and why. Today, eight years on, are we any closer to the truth? In our first episode of the Straits Times Unsolved Mysteries of Southeast Asia series, we revisit the tragic incident that continues to confound experts and look into some of the theories behind the mysterious disappearance of the Boeing 777.
2: This is very rare. For an airplane to disappear uh, is not normal. I I think we have, at this hour, uh, every reason to expect that this is not going to be a good outcome. Uh,
0: A big airplane like this uh, losing radar contact, uh, it usually ends up in tragedy. It would be over water for most of its trip, so there's a chance that this aircraft went down in the water, which is going to make the rescue or make the recovery efforts that much harder. MH370's disappearance sent shockwaves across the globe. On board that ill-fated flight were 239 people, including its two pilots, 10 flight attendants, and five children. Most of the passengers were of Chinese nationality, 38 were Malaysian, and the others were from Indonesia, Australia, India, France, the United States, Iran, Ukraine, Canada, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Russia, and Taiwan.
2: Early this morning, we received some very disturbing news. A Malaysian civil aviation flight bound for China lost contact with ground control. This has got us all very worried. I hope every one of the passengers is safe. The Chinese foreign ministry and relevant embassies and consulates of China have activated an emergency mechanism.
0: Malaysia and its neighbouring countries, as well as China and the United States, took part in massive search and rescue operations in a desperate bid to locate the aircraft. But to no avail.
2: Um, It is now six days since MH370 disappeared. There are currently 43 ships and 40 aircraft searching
1: for it.
0: Eventually, Malaysia's then Prime Minister Najib Razak revealed that MH370's transponder The transmitter in the cockpit that allows it to be tracked by ground radar was disabled at some point. The flight then changed its course and headed towards the Indian Ocean. Satellite data later suggested that the plane remained airborne for about six hours after it disappeared from the radars. There was never any distress call.
2: Based on their new analysis, Inmarset and the AAIB have concluded that MH370 flew along the Southern Corridor and that its last position was in the middle of the Indian Ocean west of Perth. This is a remote location far from any possible landing sites. It is therefore with deep sadness and regret that I must inform you that according to this new data, Flight MH370 ended in the southern Indian Ocean.
0: But no one knows for sure exactly where in the vast Indian Ocean the crash occurred, much less why. Audio clips from the cockpit failed to shed any light. They were perfectly routine. Residents of a remote atoll in the Maldives reported seeing a low-flying aircraft on the morning of March 8. But no one knows if that was indeed the missing plane. Search efforts continued for months and then stretched on to years but they all yielded nothing. Dozens of pieces of debris believed to be from the aircraft have since washed ashore in at least six different countries, most of them appearing to support the theory that it went down somewhere in the southern Indian Ocean. Investigators have concluded that controls on the aircraft were likely deliberately manipulated, but no one can say this for certain, and still, no one knows why. Was it a hijacking attempt, a suicide bid, a system malfunction, pilot error, or even aliens? As people search for closure, many theories have emerged over what might have happened to MH370, ranging from the plausible to the ludicrous. Some theorists have linked the plane's disappearance to Diego Garcia, a militarized island in the Indian Ocean that is British territory, and home to a major US naval base. Others have theorized that large cargo shipments of mangosteens and lithium-ion batteries that the plane was carrying might have caused an explosion. Still others have suggested that a catastrophic malfunction of the plane's oxygen supply might have knocked out everyone on board. As recently as February 2022, Malaysian authorities said they would consider discussions China and Australia to launch a new search mission for the remains of the plane, if there was any new credible evidence. This came after fresh leads emerged in December 2021 that may or may not shed new light on the aircraft's whereabouts. British retiree Richard Godfrey, a member of the MH370 independent group comprising scientists, researchers and individuals, believes that he has calculated the coordinates to MH370's final resting place some 2,000 kilometers west of Perth, Western Australia, in the Southern Indian Ocean. He says he did so by combining different data sets that were previously kept in separate domains. This includes data purportedly showing that the plane tripped off a series of radio waves in empty airspace as it passed, which he used to corroborate its location against satellite data and drift modeling. But French journalist Florence de Changy believes that the wreckage of MH370 is definitely not at the bottom of the ocean, or at least not anymore. Ms. de Changi, who is a foreign correspondent for French newspaper Le Monde, based in Hong Kong, and has covered the Asia-Pacific region for the last 30 years, has published a book Outlining her theory that the official narratives were fabricated and that the plane was shot down from above the South China Sea, its remains cleaned up and the truth covered up. In her book, The Disappearing Act The Impossible Case of MH370, Mr. Shanji posits that the greatest mystery in the history of aviation is, in fact, its biggest con. The journalist quotes an intelligence source as telling her that there were two US AWACS aircraft in the region at the time of the plane's disappearance. AWACS stands for Airborne Warning and Control System. Her military source said that the
3: jamming capabilities are
0: phenomenal. That
3: there were US AWACS, which are a plane's sort of uh, massive flying control station like eyes in the sky, and that there, these two uh, U.S. AWACS were on site, flying in the region. So for sure, they would know, and they may have had an important role, but I didn't know which one. Another key information that I had was that flight um, MH370 was carrying a highly sensitive cargo, most likely some kind of electronic warfare device that was camouflaged as standard uh, Tokiwokis or battery chargers by Motorola, and this consignment of 2.5 tonnes was not X-rayed and was delivered from Penang to the airport, uh, KLIA under escort.
0: An official report by the International Investigation Team for MH370 released a year after the incident Confirmed that the 221 kilogram shipment of lithium ion batteries that the plane was carrying did not undergo security screening before being loaded onto the plane. Mr. Shanji believes that the AWACS aircraft jammed MH370's transponder in a bid to retrieve the cargo. What happened afterwards is unknown. She claims that the flight crew made contact with air traffic controllers in Vietnam sending a Mayday call saying that the plane was disintegrating, but that the information has been scrubbed from most media and discredited as fake. She also cites several witnesses who claim to have seen the plane, or parts of it, in the South China Sea.
3: Plan A may have been a cargo confiscation operation this is an assumption um, on the base of what I just said before. So basically, cloak the plane, make it become uh, stealthy, invisible, with possibly these AWACs, then force the plane to land, capture the problematic consignment, and then let MH370 fly off again. Uh, the plane would have landed in Beijing with a slight delay, it would have been a non event and the Secret Service mission would have been a success. But Plan A failed because the pilot, who was very uh, experienced and also very strong headed and principled, refused to obey these orders. So it looks like disaster happened when the plane was about to reach Chinese airspace and that's around 2.40 and it's taking place off the northern coast of Vietnam. And that's really based on a cluster of other clues that I detail in the book. So after that, the cleaning up operation may have started immediately. Far-fetched
0: as her theory may seem to some, mister Shanji insists she's not just another conspiracy theorist.
3: I really started with a completely anti-conspiracy theory approach. Um, I looked very closely at the evidence uh, that was backing all the theories and scenarios uh, out there, including, obviously, the official narrative. And um, in most cases, I dismissed all of it as non-conclusive. But eventually... Uh, I really discovered a cluster of corroborating conclusions, including and mostly from some official documents that just point to something incredibly consistent. And yes, in the end, it does point towards a massive international conspiracy scenario. Um, But conspiracy do exist. And because I put in my book all the clues and the facts that sustain it, I really think that it is for the readers to approve and vet it or not. I see it as my duty as a journalist to debunk such a massive and nonsensical cover-up. Um, most people, when you ask them, they know that a b does not just disappear And I think uh, this book is simply an act of journalism, necessary journalism, uh, because journalists should be uh, the ones to flag truth when they don't sound right. In my opinion, the book is not so much about this missing plane and, you know, where is it gone and what happened to it and where are the bodies now. Though, of course, it's what it seems to be at first sight but i think it implicitly asks question also about information and about journalism how in such an informed connected monitored world can we and when i say we i mean people and also media pretend to believe for a second that we collectively uh, believe that a B777 disappeared without a trace in one of the most monitored regions of the planet.
0: The Straits Times Malaysia Bureau Chief Shannon Teo cannot agree more about the information gap that has dogged investigations into MH370's disappearance from the very start. He recounts how events unfolded for him on that fateful day on March 8, 2014.
4: Around... You know, about six or seven in the morning, and uh, what had happened was that uh, I was I was scrolling through Twitter, and then there was some chatter about a missing plane, uh, and I remember at that time a colleague was supposed to be on duty on that weekend. It was a Saturday, um, so I informed her about it, and then I just left it, thinking that you know it's just one of those things. a plane goes missing for a while, we'll find it back a while later. Um, And I had planned to to go and play tennis after that. It turns out that this was going to be bigger than we thought it was. The plane was actually missing. No one knew where it was. And so my boss then called me and said, well, we have to recall you for today and you have to get to the airport for the press conferences. So I changed back into the clothes that I had worn the last night. I hadn't showered. I hadn't brushed my teeth. I rushed to the airport. I remember kind of, not wanting to speak so closely to anyone because I thought that I was stinking and, you know, dirty and stuff. But here were people with bigger problems, right? There was families, there was the government officials. They had no idea, really, about uh, what was going on. And it was really unprecedented, not just for me as a reporter, but for Malaysians as a whole. I mean, we, we never really come across something like this. And and so even... Uh, at, at KLIA, where the, where the uh, press conferences were being held. Um, the response from the government was really haphazard. Uh, no one really had a clear idea of who were we supposed to speak to, um, how to get more information. Um, there was obviously press conferences. But aside from that, if you had any more queries, if you needed more data, things like that, um, I mean, this was the peak, the climax of crisis communications as far as uh, my reporting career was concerned.
0: The Straits Times carried the news of the missing plane on its front page the morning after MH370 disappeared, keeping on top of the coverage, search missions and official revelations as they played out over the following days, weeks and then months. Although there were no Singaporeans on board, Singapore authorities deployed several military aircraft, warships, and other vessels to help in the wide-ranging search. On the ground in Malaysia, the passengers' loved ones and members of the press alike faced chaos, confusion, and a tremendous lack of clarity in the information made available to them. There were so few facts for them to work with at the time, Shannon says.
4: We are living in COVID-19 now, and I think the press has done a good job in talking about the real facts, the scientific data, even about the conspiracy theories, the, the funny theories that, that people have, the, you know, the anti-vaxxers, so on and so forth, and when it's put to the experts, then it can be debunked. But if MH370, there, there's really so little facts to go on, to debunk the uh, wilder, theories right because we still don't know where the plane is up to now at least with something like COVID-19 you can say that we know what causes the deaths we know how the virus works so on so forth with this story we just didn't know so you you couldn't help it right you had to cover all your bases you had to consider every and any kind of uh, theory no matter how implausible you would have to entertain all these stories Uh, a lot of it were like what if Right, what if this or what if that, uh, and he had to be put out there. In this situation, I don't think it really caused a lot of harm. I mean, if you ask the authorities now, do they know what happened to the plane? The answer is still no. So we don't have an answer. We have a lot of questions. Uh, we have a lot of theories. And it's been so many years, uh, we still don't know what is right or what is wrong about MH370.
0: For one relative of a passenger on board MH370, Management consultant K.S. Narendran, it was dark days after his wife Chandrika Sharma went missing with the plane. Mr. Narendran, who is based in Chennai, India, tells The Straits Times.
1: The key questions of what happened, why it happened, how it happened, where it happened, who was involved or not involved, I mean, all these questions which were hanging in the air on 8th of March, 2014, continued to bog us down continue to hang in the air even today my belief is that this search and the quest search for answers and the quest for the truth is a matter of public interest you know it's a it's a matter that should be on the minds of every passenger who boards a flight if it's happened once who knows that it you know why it may not happen again and i think there is a there is there's something that's flawed, there's something that needs fixing. There is something that created a situation that we are still trying to grapple with. And God forbid it shouldn't happen again. And so therefore it's important that we keep the efforts to find answers going, rather than you know, shut shop, you know, say it's all over, too bad. Just one flight out of a million flights. And we are still the safest mode of transportation, you know, and all such. Uh, rationale that comes up every once in a while. So I would urge people to raise questions with their own airlines, with their own aviation sector, with their governments, with the International Civil Aviation Organization, and uh, insist that they kind of be on a hot pursuit of the truth.
0: Mr. Narendran found some catharsis writing about his personal ordeal in his book titled Life After MH370, Journeying Through a Void, published about four years after the event.
1: I didn't have much clarity before, but as I wrote it became clearer. This whole question of acceptance, what would acceptance mean to me, uh, you know, um, beyond just taking in all the facts and circumstances surrounding the disappearance, the search and the investigation, but what would it mean in terms of a wholesome approach to life that involves Acceptance of the reality as is.
0: It is not uncommon for alternative theories and wild speculation to proliferate as people struggle to find ways to cope in the aftermath of a sudden disaster or accident, according to clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Lowe.
5: I think rumors, the theories and rumors about MH370 persist just because of the magnitude of what happened. I think, you know, in the history of um, aviation, right, I think every aviation disaster or accident carries with it significant weight in terms of like media coverage, for example, stories and news coverage and things like that people who are family members for example friends and things like that I think they would also be quite interested in the theories because it gives them some hope lah, no matter how small no matter how, how minuscule lah, right? I don't think that you know they are hoping that they would be able to uh, I think at this point a lot of them are hoping just to know what happened lah, right? if they are, if the family members are still alive and well I think that's fantastic that's great that's the best news or the best uh, possible scenario but even at this point I think just knowing what happened to them lah, I think would be really great already lah. Add to the fact that this is such a big unknown which it's probably one of the biggest mysteries that we'll ever encounter in our lifetimes, right? I think the combination of the two lends its weight to why the, the rumours or conspiracy theories about mystery 370 will continue to persist, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon.
0: Mr Narendran, who still grieves his wife's disappearance to this day, is learning to make peace with himself.
1: Eight years has been a long time, and... Uh... We are no better off today. Uh, We're not better informed. And uh, it may take another eight years or 80, frankly, I don't know. And I think I've come to make my peace with the fact that I don't know. And uh, I may never know.
0: Thank you for listening. I'm Hazlin Hassan and this was Unsolved Mysteries of Southeast Asia, a special podcast series by The Straits Times. This podcast series is produced by Magdalene Fung, Jianing Tan, and edited by Tong Kai. Check out links to the full story and interactive feature on MH370 in our podcast text description.
4: That was a podcast by The Straits Times.